do my best for these kids. These kids deserve to come out a winner. The seniors deserve to win. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing. Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. <laughs> now all of a sudden, I'm sitting in this chair, and I told him, you know what? I'm still crawling my hands and knees to work here. I, I just want to be here. Those situations are the worst when you are on top of another guy. You can't blame a loss to Wake on lack of resources. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. Believe me, the last thing I want to do is, is ever talk about J.C. Price. I don't want to talk about these great student-athletes we have and about trying to get them to win. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I keep pinching myself. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out What's the percent on that? 11. Fighting for social justice by drinking. I, I appreciate that. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? Our story's not written. You know, our book's not finished. You know, what's it going to say? And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Virginia Tech lost to Miami 38-26, to but Robbie, more importantly, it is hate week. Give us a cheers. Hey, I know we just took a loss, and it's a little bit, uh, it was sad in the way that it happened, but we'll go through the game. But the number one thing is beat UVA, and that's all that matters every year. So we'll just make it quick, easy to the point, and beat UVA this week, and all will be right. Cheers. And you know, it's nice to have a head coach who was a Hokie going into hate week. We got the J.C. Price presser right after we recorded last week, and we talked about J.C. taking over the team and how that was kind of cool. But later in the week, after he spoke, there was this groundswell of enthusiasm for him, for the team, and his quotes, which some of which you just heard in our intro, because I reworked the intro with some of those J.C. Price quotes, uh, it was a positive vibe at the end of last week. Yeah, I think it was. I was really excited listening through the presser. I thought it was, I don't know how to put it. It just was very nostalgic and just very owner. It owned the Virginia Tech message and the Hokie Nation message so well in a very modest tone. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, that's a great way to put it. And what I thought was there was a number of cool quotes, including I'd crawl on my hands and knees to work at Tech. Yep. But the last one where he said, the last one I put in the thing, it wasn't the last thing he said. It was, our story hasn't been written. Yeah. Let's see how it ends kind of thing. Which, if you'll remember from our previous intro with Fuente, the exact opposite of what he said, which is, the end has already been written. We just need to go through the hard part to get there. JC said... It hasn't been written. And I. it's like the dichotomy of that, just those quotes. And like, I'm not sure anyone else out there would have noticed it. I just happened to like work with those quotes, <laughs> you know, personally. And um, it just really struck me that this is a completely different guy than what we've had. And I know he hasn't had an off season to prepare or whatever, but it's just a totally different, I think, mindset coming from JC as the leader. His mindset, I think, comes from that of, somebody that went through adversity at Virginia Tech. I think he talked about it, that he kind of, when he was in the program, I, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but was kind of a screw-up early on and then kind of had to mature and had to find his what his path was going to be as a player. And 
and as a hokey and i thought it was just i don't know it was just very reassuring to me i felt like we were in good hands even though i didn't know what the outcome of the game was going to be i felt like we were in good hands for the players and we were going to at least have a a soft landing from a, a pretty tough bounce and yeah you're going into a very difficult position going on the road right after your coach gets fired there's just days to prepare your one player has to drive down, arguably your best offensive player. So it was just a very, it was a very weird week, and the weather and Miami having played well, it was a tough spot for to go into. And I thought he handled the week very well. The beginning of the game, maybe not so much, and we'll get into that. Yeah. I wanted to bring up the Mike Nizalek article in the Roanoke Times. It was a really nice piece put out right after we parted ways with Fuente. And there was so much insight into the firing, the program in general, the last few years. And one of the things that stood out was this Syracuse game seemed to be essentially the last straw. Yeah. And I, I thought that was an interesting game because some of us may have uh, thought a different time was the last straw, but it makes sense in hindsight why that would have you know been the straw that broke the, the camel's back. But overall, the piece was... So well written. I love how it was chaptered out. Like it kind of mm-hmm. went through the sections of Fuente's career. I thought it was really one well done. Unfortunately, it also exposed some things that maybe we, assuming that it's all based on you know factual stuff, I think it is. It's all sourced, and I think he probably uh, made sure everything was was very accurate in there. But some of the stuff regarding the play calling and things like that was disturbing to read more so because we're in or we're in year six of a head coach uh, and an offensive coordinator to know that those kind of problems were systemic in the program that we all guessed at but the fact that they might be true yeah do you mind if I just read that one passage I feel like was the most jarring I saw it clipped a bunch of times on Twitter Mm -hmm. and this is from the source You have got to let your quarterback be your quarterback, a source said. There wasn't autonomy to read the defense on a run option. He would tell the quarterback whether he should hand it off or run. You can't manage every piece of it. Cornelson would also dictate where his quarterbacks needed to throw on passing plays before the snap and criticize them for passing elsewhere, even if the intended target was covered. A source ran through multiple instances for the Roanoke Times of when Burmeister was ripped this fall for making a positive play only because the ball went to a different receiver than Cornelson wanted. I mean, that is shocking to read because some of it was kind of what we thought might have been going on, but we're like, nah, that would be too ridiculous. And it's it's like right there. Yeah, it, it's a, it's exactly what a lot of us talked around. And nobody is going to claim that they hit it right on the head. I think French hit some of it. You and I have talked about how it's just so weird that some of these wide receivers are that wide open. And could it really be Burmeister's not getting through his progressions? Like some of them. It explains a lot. Yeah. And um, explains a lot of the transfers that have happened. A lot of the mentality of being a quarterback in a program and maybe feeling like you can't develop. Or even even if you stayed there and you played your heart out, you wouldn't develop to make it to the next level anyway, so you might as well go try it somewhere else. Um, it 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 hits close to home, and the fact that it went on for that long, and it was, you know, it, I I wish 
I don't, um, I don't know. Still going on? Yes. Still going on. Sorry. And I, <laughs> you know what I mean now, right? I know. Like, I know. It's, I know. Um, but the fact that nobody ever just diagnosed it, and there are some people who talk, it, it speaks to some of the locker, you know, the lock, the film review issues that we saw in the past. It, it oh, when Kill wanted to go after Cornelson? Cornelson and basically rip his head off. And now it starts to make sense, which is kind of unfortunate yeah. if... If all of that holds true, it, it makes a lot of sense. I wish this article had come out a year ago, and there's obviously reasons why that type of stuff only happens after the coach is fired. Mm-hmm. But, uh, wow. That article also talked about the former player relations, the portal issues. It went into the Baylor thing. And reading it all back in one place is just like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. One, that it all happened. And two, that he lasted as long as he did when this just seemed like, such a train wreck in so many ways. There was another article about the recruiting in Richmond and just how bad it is and how the top recruits are all heading to UNC and all these pieces are hitting at the same time and it's not yeah. a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, it always happens. Nobody wants to put that out there, right, beforehand because you know that then you're basically stonewalled from the program and mm-hmm. now we're starting to see people come out. And I, I will also say that it did become evident, and I think it was from his response to a tweet that he got, that there was still a lot of respect for Fuente in that locker room. So that you, I don't mean for this to turn into a hit piece either. It's just, it's just disappointing that th- things that I take for granted that should just be, it's like in my job, like things that are just blocking and tackling that you would like look at somebody and say, what what do you you don't know how to do this like that's just fundamental to our job we're obviously lacking uh in mm-hmm. in that particular instance and i never thought at a p5 level at a place like virginia tech that that would go on for six years yeah yeah it's it is surprising let's move on to some of our other news and notes before we go into the game the ap poll had a OSU jumping Alabama for number two. And that was after the decimation of Michigan State. And I I I couldn't believe that halftime score. 49 to nothing. I mean your wife had to be loving it. I, I joked with her. I said, take it easy. Like those kids have families. Like what are you guys <laughs> like? Well it's like they, they shut it down in the second half too. Yeah. They turned it off and you got Michigan next week. Do it to Michigan. I mean, you, you don't have to do it to the little brother. That was just harsh. <laughs> we also had Pitt at number 20 after locking up the Coastal. Wake moved to 21 after their loss to Clemson. We we both had that wrong in the picks. Yeah. Later in the week, I kept hearing everyone picking Clemson, um, including Bud Elliott and some other people, and I'm like, hmm. And then the line kept like sticking, and it's like, yeah, this might not go so well for Wake, and it did not. Uh, NC State's at number twenty-four. I think Clemson not being ranked is pretty surprising. Yeah, I feel that is almost a big. It's they were so good. Everybody expected them to be really good this year. People will pick them to be in the playoff. I think it was almost unanimous across many people to be in the playoff. And it was so jarring for them not to be good and have those problems that there was almost a backlash effect, like a, like a whipsaw to the other side of things that that's keeping them out. There was also a, a team 
Cincinnati, I think they did pretty well. So you you were right and I was wrong. That is for sure. They another one. This was like the weekend of blowouts. Yeah. Like there was a lot of teams that jumped all over other teams early, and Cincinnati was one of them. I mean, we're talking four straight weeks of them not being able to do this to anyone, seemingly, and then they just take a good SMU team and destroy. Yeah. And I, I I was impressed. And I don't know about you, but now with a ten and one Houston. Yeah. On their championship schedule, Notre Dame at ten and one. Are you thinking they're going to get in the playoff? Because I'm starting to think that way. Well, we have Oregon that just lost, so they're yeah. out. And you know, I Michigan to, or Ohio State's going to get knocked out. Yeah, one of them will be knocked out. Uh, Oklahoma State though is sitting right there. So the question: the Oklahoma schools are the problem, yes. right, for Cincinnati. Yes. So you, I, they, I we right. need. If you wanted Cincinnati in, you need Oklahoma's to like split and like you need Oklahoma to win and then Oklahoma State to loot like yes. win in the championship, something like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you gotta you gotta have one because of the way that their conference is set up. You gotta have if they split, that's the best case scenario for Cincinnati. And even then, it could be Notre Dame. It could be Notre Dame. So. It could be. Now, the difference between them putting Michigan over Michigan State a couple of weeks in a row now when State had beat them was that that game was at Michigan State, and so that seems like an advantage. Cincinnati beat Notre Dame in South Bend. Yeah, it was on the road. So, like, there's no way. You cannot – you should not be able to move Notre Dame above Cincinnati. You just shouldn't. I think the fan – the fan outcry at that point and the media outcry would just be too great that you wouldn't be yeah. able to do it. And there, there's a little bit of, I think, we've seen the Notre Dame in the playoff situation yes. enough times, you know what I mean, that it's like, well, when are they going to, let's give somebody else a chance because they yes. haven't been able to do it. And it's not going to, even when they played in the national championship, they, I mean, they with the blowout, whatever, it, it's just... It's it's never come to fruition for them, and I don't know if it's there yet. They've had a great season, and um, but I, I agree with you. So, yeah, and they don't have a championship game, yep. so there's one less game for them. And Cincinnati will have that chance to impress by beating Houston in their championship game. However, Houston's pretty damn good. Yes. I mean that, that could be a hell of a game. And Cincinnati really needed that Houston. He needed Houston to be good. That if yeah. if they did not have that, they would have been in big trouble. So SMU was a really good team. That's a good win. Notre Dame's a really good team. That was an amazing win. And then you would have Houston to round it out. And those are three really good wins. On top of, I know it's every year is new, but after seeing them compete with Georgia last year in the bowl game and going undefeated in that season except for the bowl game, it's kind of, it, yeah, you wonder when it's going to break and you're going to let these guys yeah. get a chance at it. Now, for Houston, if they win out, Holgo is going to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's another interesting storyline of him, like, leaving P5 to go to G5 yep. and then getting back to the big time. That would be pretty impressive. And, of course, they will eventually be in a power conference by moving to the Big 12 anyway. But right. that was one of the first times or maybe only times we've seen a coach like willingly go quote unquote backwards and yeah. do really well. And and he had a he has a lot of ties to that Houston program. So it yeah. made a ton of sense for him. And it doesn't always make that much sense to make that step back. And it did and it, it's worked out at least for the season. 
So let's talk about coaching changes in general. Speaking of that, 14 FBF schools now have made a change, and that includes the University of Florida, the latest to part ways with their head coach, Dan Mullen. Three of those 14 have their new guy. There's also been a lot of links of Sonny Dykes to TCU today, so that could be a done deal soon. A lot of competition for our coach, and I keep seeing that on Twitter, and I keep feeling it, and it's scaring me. However, we only need one guy to say yes. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Charles Huff and Marcus Freeman tonight because we didn't really go into them as much as we did with Clawson and Napier last week, and this will be quick. But a lot of our fans like Huff, from what I can tell from social media. And there's a lot of reasons to like him. He's played at Hampton, so he's familiar with the state. Uh, I actually noted he graduated the same year that you graduated from college. (laughs) Yes, yes. And obviously doing, uh, you know, great things in his life and a lot more uh, well-known than I'll ever be, which uh, always makes me feel bad. So uh, my years are running thin at this point. He was a team captain for Hampton. He's from Maryland. He coached at Penn State for three years when they, uh, I think, won the Big Ten. And then he went to Mississippi State, I'm assuming, with Moorhead in 2018. And then he was a coach at Bama for two years, an assistant head coach, and coached the running backs there. And he was one of the top recruiters in the nation, according to 247. He got the job at Marshall last year. They're 7-4, and four, but I did notice, continuing with that recruiting trend, he has them at number 50 in the recruiting rank- rankings when they're normally a good 30 spots lower than that. Their only other time they approached 50, they were 51 in 2016. They had 32 commits in that class. So – He's he's doing a very good job recruiting for Marshall, and I think it would be really cool to take a shot on him. Now, you just don't know what kind of head coach he is. I'm sure he's a good coach in general. He obviously is to get a shot at Bama and then get a head coaching position this young in his career, but no one knows how they're going to react in the head. He has a winning record, so that's nice for Marshall, but Doc Holliday left that program on steady ground, yeah. so it's not always – easy to tell how good you're doing yeah and he built off of it obviously with the at least the recruiting right at least that much Mm -hmm. um but uh, it would be a bit of a flyer i do think him and what he did at alabama helps give me a little bit more comfort i mean he was that's something we want yeah and he was good at penn state as well i mean he's been at big time programs so if he had been at marshall for the last two, three years, and before that had a pedigree that was not... He I, he also, I think he, he was, what, with the Buffalo Bills back in, like, 2012? Yeah. Uh, and so he's he's been through it. He's seen a lot of programs, and I, I agree fully with you. I think the recruiting side of it, he could, he could turn around very, very quickly. I think he would be absolutely a stud in that regard. I just don't know what what he would look like as a head coach yeah mm-hmm. and sometimes you got to take a chance on somebody I, I don't know it's going to be it's going to be interesting but I do think he would be an awesome fit for Virginia Tech culturally recruiting wise and the question is is you know from a head coach perspective you know what what he brings and how developed he is yeah he's checked about every box in my book other than maybe having a little bit more of a track record as a coordinator or a head coach, but every other thing seems to be a, a very good fit, check the box kind of thing. Marcus Freeman, I just wanted to say about the job he's doing at Notre Dame right now, I saw the thing where he hasn't allowed a TD 
in three games. His defense has not allowed a touchdown in three straight games. They just beat Georgia Tech 55 to nothing. Yeah. And we know Georgia Tech can play some offense. Yeah. And that's that's pretty much all they were playing this year was was a decent offense, which was such a surprise. But in, in the shakeup that was happening at Notre Dame, they talk about being able to come in steady, not just a a fleeting program and steadying things there, but a program that has one loss and is potentially going to make the playoff to come in and to really be able during some of the shakeups that were happening with, with Notre Dame, be able to do it. And you can say what you want, um, you know, about Notre Dame, but they can bring in very, very good. And they, they, analyze who they're bringing in coordinator positions so well and like who they're bringing in as coaches. So I, I have Brian Kelly. I have a lot of faults with him. That's not one of them. So it's, it's yeah. nice. And the other thing not going in Freeman's favor going into the season was that Notre Dame was replacing a ton of talent yep. across the defense. So yeah, they have Kyle Hamilton and they have some other guys, but like that was not just like, Oh, a plug and play with a bunch of seniors. Yeah. I mean, they, they had to replace a lot of pieces, and he's got them going, man. So the last thing I wanted to say about the coaching candidates in general was a PSA of just to disregard the noise that you're hearing. Like that Clawson report last week that was on, like, FBS Scoop or whatever it was. Like, just just ignore all of that stuff until you see someone on the dotted line because – we, we went through this before with our with our head coach in basketball where the reports were flying. We thought we had someone. We didn't have them. And so just wait, and we will get them. It's fun to talk about. If you want to talk about it, that's fine. But the reports that you see, just that's agent speak. That's you know guys trying to make money for their, for their clients. Yeah, if you want to speculate, I think you can speculate. The Florida news was not great for us because now you have Florida, LSU. Those are tangible facts. They need a head coach, right? There's no debating that they're going to have to go out and get a head coach. I think that is one that's fine to talk about is the competition that now exists, and it has a ripple effect across everybody that's looking for a head coach. That makes a lot more sense to talk about than it does reporting, which I just just don't buy it. I I just don't. We, every year, we think, this person's got, the, and some of the reports, like a few of them are correct. The vast majority of them end up being incorrect or just speculative or smoke. Yeah. Just, it's just not, it's just not real. All right. Stickers. Thank you all to everyone that bought a sticker and donated to the podcast. If you're not aware, we are selling stickers for a $5 donation. Um, you pay me on Venmo. You can go to our Twitter. All the details are there. You can go to our website. 2dvt.com backslash merch and you will find how to order a sticker uh you'll have it in a couple days and if anyone has an issue receiving their sticker and you wait two weeks you haven't gotten it well that is a mistake let me know i'll send you another one um but by and large we've gotten great feedback on them people seem to love them and we appreciate everyone who has supported this podcast and so buy a sticker if you need one virginia tech basketball 5-0 24 in the ken palm this team is good, Robbie. Not only are they five and zero, they're five and zero against the spread. Yes, and that—that's what—that's what we all care about, right? You know, <laughs> good good teams win, great teams uh, cover. So it is. Uh, 
they are playing lights out. They're playing dynamic, a very cohesive unit uh, of basketball. I was watching highlights. I didn't get to watch uh, the last game uh, live, so I was going through the highlights today. And it just it looks like a really cohesive everybody knows where they are on the court it looks like the passing and everybody's just in a, a good place and did i see a clip of storm throwing it off a defender's back was that this past game and yes that was the merrimack game where he did like the guy at the Y move where someone turns their back to him and you bounce it off him and go and do the layup. And he not only did it, but he successfully pulled it off. It was, it was a sight to be seen. Aluma is leading us in points per game at 12.4, but that's not the production we were expecting out of him. I'm still kind of waiting for Keve Aluma to turn it on a little bit more. Storm and Naheem are right behind with just over 10 points. Mutz is averaging 10 exactly and seven rebounds. Mutz also leads us in assists, which I love that guy, man. He is a total glue guy and is worth a highlight just about every game. We're shooting 42.5% from three as a team. Some of the guys are really shooting it well from three. Um, But this stretch coming up, starting with Memphis and then whoever wins that Xavier-Iowa State game. Xavier popped into the rankings actually today. They're number 25. Memphis is number... Well, they're 16 in the Kempom. I have to look up what their AP poll ranking is, but this is going to be tough. Memphis, Xavier, Iowa State, Maryland. Then we got an ACC game in Wake. Cornell and Dayton should be wins, but the Dayton game's on the road. Bonnies of St. Bonaventure, who some people think are better than Memphis, Duke, and UNC. Now, UNC has taken a couple losses, but it's still UNC. Yeah, that's a um, that's quite a, a stretch right there. <laughs> that's all before the new year. Yeah. So, talk about uh, having it stacked early. We were talking, we were excited about the Bonaventure game. I think we were excited before we talked in the season about the Memphis game. Uh, I, I'm less excited now just because of how good those teams um, are, and we knew they were going to be good, but they're they're even better than we thought. Uh, you know, Duke's going to be tough. Uh, UNC, yeah, they've taken a couple of losses, but it doesn't matter. It's it's UNC. the The stretch upcoming is going to be really defining i think for this this program and i think we can take some losses in there and not have it hit us too it's not going to hurt us uh, that bad but on the flip side of that if we if we take our fair share of wins there it's going to do a ton for the resume of this team yeah if you can get six or seven wins oh man our resume would be pretty ridiculous if you can only get five or something, okay, you got some work to do in ACC play. But I'll tell you what, the ACC has struggled so far. Yeah. It was struggling right off the bat in the first week, and they continue to lose these like weird games. And it's not, it's not like our good teams necessarily, but like BC lost to Rhode Island. We yeah. had, you know, Louisville drop one to someone weird. Like it's, I don't know really know what's going on. Why we're not having a good season? Maybe some of the COVID hangover, but. ACC's got to get it together. Yeah. However, it means we have a chance to be at the top of this conference because it seems very average. Yeah, it is. Once again, uh, usually it's football, but now we uh, we find ourselves with a, a basketball conference uh, that's struggling as well. But for us and the goals that we have ahead of us, I don't know necessarily. There are some years where it's great when the ACC is really good because if we kind of we fight well then it pulls us up 
I yeah. think this team might be good enough that we don't need that kind of, you know, all tides, you know, or the tides lift all boats. It's it's just the the rising yeah. tide is. It's just win your games. Yeah. Just just win your games, and and you'll be you'll be fine. Yeah. Let's go over injuries quickly before we get in the game recap. Braxton played, and he was being swapped in and out, but he did play and start and all that good stuff. Hoffman played, but he did not start, and I don't. I don't recall seeing him all that much, but it was a rainy, wet game, and it was kind of hard to identify certain players. And then Trey had to leave the game, but he did get there. Yeah, he did play, and he played well. Um, but he did come back at some point as well. We haven't named our starting quarterback for Saturday yet. That's something J.C. Price talked about today. Will it be Blumrick? Will it be Burmeister? We saw how much both of those guys were getting beat up, particularly Braxton. So I don't know. You just gotta you gotta put someone out there that can make some plays. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. We're probably gonna get pretty similar results from either one. Yeah, Braxton on that hit when he finally came out, when he got pulled down, it was a he got ripped to the ground yeah. on that um on that that sack. And it was it was tough to watch just knowing how many injuries he's had. And then he was out for the rest of the game. That was that was his last that was his last play. I mean, it was like a cartoon with him. Like they were literally peeling him off of the turf, yeah. like Wiley Coyote. You know, yeah, like that's crazy. what it, it was, it was that's nuts. what it looked like, man. The poor kid. Both of our quarterbacks' jerseys were brown. Oh yeah, like just completely brown with field turf. Just filthy. <laughs> like yeah, we did not. Uh, if you were trying to instill confidence or like you know aggressiveness, it didn't really help that our entire our entire team by like midway through the third quarter was just like drenched in mud and it just looked like they had been dragged through the dirt by whoever their opponent was it was not all that intimidating so let's get to the game recap it did not start well at all miami went up 21 to 3 real quick their speed was on full display we finally put up a touchdown halfway through the second quarter on the fade to trey turner it was a ridiculous catch that was reviewed and stood which was fantastic. Miami answered in 10 seconds, though, literally 10 seconds with the TD to Smith, one play, 75 yards. We knocked a field goal through to make it 28-13 to 13 at the half, and I honestly felt fortunate to be down only 15 at halftime. I know. It did not feel good, but I, I remember looking at the score saying, we should probably be down by a lot more. And honestly, it, as we go through the recap, it was kind of like that the whole game. <laughs> We finally got our legs underneath us in the third. Seven-yard TD pass from Blumrick to Caleb Smith. We got the onside kick recovery and added another TD pass to Dwayne Lofton to make it 31-26. And right there, in that moment, I totally thought we were coming back. We had J.C. Price doing the fist pump, and Miami has the ball. They decide to go for it on a fourth and one. And we stopped this guy dead to rights at their own 37-yard line. We're about to get the ball in Miami's territory. And the refs spot the ball like a full yard and a half farther than where the guy got to. They review it. It gets upheld, sustained, whatever. Completely insane. And Miami, even though they had to punt, all of the momentum had been killed. Yeah, that took all the wind out of the sails. And the spot was... Yeah, we all talk about good calls, bad calls. It was really egregious uh, in that in that instance. And when you were even when you looked at the like replay, I was like, okay, even if I was gonna like not you know have my my hokey glasses on, it was not even close. 
The announcers, I've never heard announcers be so adamant that a spot was wrong. Yeah. I mean, they were just like, he didn't even get close. And <laughs> it was true. Miami would score a drive later. We couldn't muster any more points. The game ended 38-26 to 26, Miami. The story of the game to me was our quarterback's inability to really throw the football down the field with any success or even stay on their feet. But the secondary story was definitely the fight that we showed in the second half when it looked like the game was a complete blowout. Yeah, that it was. Uh, you and I joked earlier today that the box score of this game is absolutely outrageous. Like if you look at it on, on both sides, both in terms of Miami not being able to run the ball whatsoever, or we us shutting down the run. I think they had what fifty six yards of you mm-hmm. know rushing offense for Miami, and us. It, Burmeister went 13 of 14 on all of his passes starting the game, and it, but it was only for 100 yards. I've never seen a stat that was like that incredible. It was just, we were just dipping and dunking the ball all over the place. There yeah. was, and then there would be, we had a 30 yard pass, I think, a 25 yard pass. It was a, like a couple long ones, but that was, that was it. Um, I will also say that I was impressed. Um, I know it's a loss, but the team fought hard and they did well in the red zone. I know every time we had to get to third down in order to make those completions, but the jump balls I thought were pretty crazy. Lofton with that, you know, uh, catch the long pass over on the right-hand side that he caught in double coverage diving. There was the end zone catch by Smith, which was insane. You know, there was a lot of the, the wide receivers, made up for a wet, soggy day where a lot of the passes were not even close. Um, and still, but the, the passing was really, overall, really, really bad and really poor in yeah. this game. You're talking about 17 attempts, just 109 yards from Burmeister. And you're right, without the wide receivers making those catches and bailing out the quarterbacks, it would have been completely terrible. Miami had 10 tackles for loss. Like I said, BB and Blumrick were just taking so many hits. And that's because they were asked to run the ball. I mean, Blumrick had 20 rush attempts, which I guess if he's playing the game, you know he's going to be running the ball. But 20 rush attempts for a guy who looks like a string bean, like that's that's not great. And he did well. Like he he did do well. He had 6.6 yards per carry. But he's coming off an injury. Burmeister's been banged up for weeks. The biggest problem with this game was the misuse of Raheem Blackshear and Malachi Thomas. Malachi ended up with seven carries. Blackshear didn't get a carry until midway through the fourth quarter. Yeah. How does that make any sense with the success he's been having? Yeah. So Blumrick led the team. He had 132 yards. Uh, Hats off. And he took a lot of hits in this game and kept getting back up. Number two was, was Burmeister with 52 yards rushing. And... Then you get to Malachi, you have Thomas with seven carries for 39 yards. And then Blackshear and King only got the ball twice each in this game. And it was late. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> that doesn't, in a in a sloppy kind of mutter game, that's it. for them not to be running the ball is, it, it was nuts. It was, yes, it was a, it was a monsoon. Yeah. Like you're supposed, this is like when Brian Kelly in the hurricane game yeah. was throwing the ball for Notre Dame and like everyone made fun of him. Like that's not that we were throwing a ton, but we're running our injured quarterbacks yeah. instead of our two great running backs. Yeah. Like I, I could not possibly understand how that happened and it better get rectified before the UVA game. 
Uh, Lofton had the three catches and the touchdown. Really nice to see him get out there, just to finish off with a couple positives about the offense. Smith getting a touchdown, that was nice. That was sweet. Jalen Jones, how about that snag? Yeah, that was an incredible catch. You... And some of these names are people that haven't really been, it's been kind of the Trey Turner, you know, Robinson show all year. And to see these other guys with Lofton and Smith and other people come out and, um, and Jones, especially uh, that started to show a little bit of depth. Maybe it's necessity, but it was whatever it was. uh, uh, Those guys really played hard. And, um, and it was I want to see them next year, man. Yeah. You know, like I want them to stay. I want Lofton and Jones to stay because they seem to have so much promise. Yep, I agree. The defense, they did not play well. Yeah. They gave up six point five yards per play, four hundred and eleven yards, five touchdowns. In fact, Miami scored touchdowns on their first four drives, and we did not get a sack the entire game. I will caveat that with the fact that this Van Dyke kid is ridiculous. Yeah, he, <laughs> he is. is so he is really good. Yeah, three hundred and what fifty-seven yards he had, uh, ten point eight average per pass, and three TDs. That's uh, not a bad day. And maybe we jinxed it, but Charleston Rambo, of course, went off. Uh, just as you know, just because we talked about him and his name and the fact that he came from Oklahoma, seven catches for one hundred and sixteen yards. They were. Yeah, we, we I will say we stopped the run, but honestly, they didn't really never run need to run the ball that much because in a lot of those they had what three passes to nearly wide open wide receivers that like weren't there was nobody within what 5 yeah. 10 yards of them just gashed us. Yeah, well you had Waller like I don't know what's wrong with him. French mentioned like his hips were completely stiff. Uh, I don't know if he's got an ankle thing. At one point he was hobbling, but he's a good player. We know Waller is a good player and he was getting torched. So I don't know what was going on there, but it wasn't good. And again, it needs to get figured out for the one touchdown at the end. We had like Dax coming out in coverage on Mike Harley or something. Yes. I can't remember if it was him or not, but oh my god, that's a mismatch. Yep. Like I don't know what what you're doing there. I when I said I didn't know who it was, I meant the wide receiver. I know it was Dax. Yes, <laughs> that was bizarre. And Tay Daly took the targeting call. That didn't help anything. Um, that was not nope. good. And more, there were some tackling struggles in this game. There were a couple plays where they it seemed like people caught the ball, wide receivers, and broke numerous tackles um for for long well the one touchdown that got called back by the tight end yeah the tackling was completely atrocious and maybe they saw the flag and stopped but like you don't do that yeah like you you don't do that because you don't know what that flag is going to be and we could not pull mallory down yeah and to your to your point it was a five-point game before that bomb pass to harley and we were really we we clawed our way back into this game and then they just threw that over the top ball ball and nobody was near him uh and that that really just kind of set the tone for the rest of the game it was it was done at that point yeah the good stretch of defense from the end of the second through the end of the third was the bright spot for that side of the ball it was cool to see artists out there yep. making plays there was a lot of complimentary words said about artists online 
Uh, Connor had 11 tackles, and he had to step up because Daly was out. Daly is usually our first or second leading tackler. So mm-hmm. when he got went out, like that really hurt us. Uh, he should be back for the full UVA game, though, because it was a first-half ejection. Yep. Um, coolest play was obviously, I think, the onside kick or maybe Trey's catch or maybe the other catch. There was a lot of cool plays in this game. There, there was. The onside, I thought... It was it was needed at that time just to keep us in it, and I think everybody everybody felt that. But it was that that got me really juiced up. I, I was excited, and it was I, I I'll be honest, the weather was absolute shit. The you know you just lost your head coach. I, I think honestly, I thought this could have gone a lot worse than it did, and we, maybe we caught a few breaks, or maybe wide receivers made some catches that were circus stunt kind of situations but this could have gotten even uglier than maybe maybe it did just with the weather and everything that we had going on and honestly with the weird uh, offensive game plan in terms of who was who was rushing the ball yeah i I honestly it came down to van dyke having a fantastic night really this was his highest qbr against an fbs team this year i mean he played outstanding against what has been a very stout secondary. This was our first time we gave up 300 yards to anyone this year. Yeah. I mean, it was really, they were on. I mean, the Miami offense was on. Yep. And we, even the rain couldn't really slow it down for long. So, yep. you, you know, it, it just wasn't going to be our night. The bad spot on fourth down, just, just to do the takeaways, uh, completely killed the momentum. The fight back was impressive, and they did show a lot of, what, grit, Robbie, would you say? <laughs> No, we're not going to say that. So, they, yeah, toughness. Uh, something. Yes, anything else but grit. Price took, I thought, total accountability in the presser. Yeah. And that was a pleasure to see. There was no execution quotes or bullshit in that regard. So that was nice. Uh, but the secondary was terrible. Yeah. And going into UVA, I am frightened. Yeah, that is exactly what we didn't want to have be terrible coming out of a loss going into that game uh, with uh, the quarterback that we're about to face. And, and honestly, what might be one of the better, you know, wide receivers that we're going to face outside of a couple others in the, uh, in the ACC. So it's true, man. All right, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor before we do a beer break. Downtown crown wine and beer and dominion wine and beer. The two best beer stores in the DMV my friends, Nicole and Emmy, actually are celebrating their birthday this week, Ooh. and they decided to do a brunch over at Dominion. Nice. And they set up outside. You know, a bunch of my friends were, I wasn't able to make it, but heard it was a really good time. And they have like the menus, you know, they give out. And Arash had made a special menu that said like, happy birthday, Nicole and Emmy on it. Oh, that's awesome. uh, For them as they were ordering their food, which was just like a really nice touch that he didn't have to do. But that's the kind of service you get at Dominion. It's not just because he knows some of my friends. He would do that. If you put in the word, that staff will work with you. They can host a party, an event, and their selection as far as wine and beer is just unmatched when it comes to local or even across the country beers. Yeah, and yeah, that is that's just how nice he is. But I think it bleeds through the entire uh, organization over there. So they are awesome. And go in, come up with your tough questions on wines or beers, and uh, go in <laughs> go in fully loaded because they'll have the answers for them. Definitely, and uh, the Gaithersburg location is also beautiful I, today actually i was 
listening to the podcast we've recorded up at Downtown Crown, the one when before we played Kentucky in basketball. And it was just that first of all, that podcast is ridiculous to go back and listen to it. It was so funny. And it was in the early days of Fuente too, when we were still kind of liking him because yeah. it was 2017. So the whole thing was hilarious, but there's like an interview with Arash. There's, you know, some shenanigans with beers going on. And it was, it was so funny, but that location to that end is a great spot to go and sit, have some beers. Hey, record your podcast from there. I don't know. Maybe you want to get out, talk to some buddies, go there, watch sports. They have TVs, they have taps. It's, it really is a great meeting spot. Yeah. And it's not often that you, and we probably don't talk about this enough. There's a lot of places that are like a good beer store that you can go get beer, a place that's a nice wine shop. And yeah, that's nice. But it's hard to find a place that you can like, especially for beer, go and also sit down and have drinks as well. Like go to a place that you know you're going to be able to pick up some good beer, some you know, some fun stuff that you maybe haven't had before, or maybe some local stuff that's tough to get. But then also be able to sit down and watch sports. And, you know, it's a, a nice hybrid between, you know, a sports bar, if you will, and a, and a nice uh, beer shop and, and wine shop as well. Absolutely. Make sure to check them out this holiday season for all of your alcoholic needs. For now, Robbie, I need to know what you're drinking. Uh, I am going, I have the Hellraiser Dark Amber uh, from WB Brewing Company. This is a non-alcoholic malt beverage. Uh, it's one of my uh, brother's actually um, favorite beers that he drinks that's, that's non-alcoholic and a uh, little different. I don't think uh, I've done too many dark ambers on this podcast. Uh, maybe like four out of like the 600 beers. Yeah, that's like more my style. Yeah, I that's like right. The dark amber beers. This is actually really good uh, and probably because I don't drink a ton of them, but it is... Um, it hit, the amber really comes through on the beer, and I probably don't drink enough of them to be able to differentiate a lot. But it was actually it's a really good beer. Um, I have my favorites that are you know IPAs and the like, and this is his. So sitting in my fridge, and I decided to pop it out for the podcast, and um, really good. Nice man. I am drinking the Friendsgiving, twenty twenty one. It's a charity through collaboration beer so this is five different local beers around here local breweries mostly in new jersey there is a philly one on here but cape may brewing a lot of people know about double nickels a very popular south jersey brewing company tonewood another one that's popular and good urban villages in philly and i've been there and source brewing kind of a smaller operation of farmhouse but it's cool because these five breweries came together and made a hazy ipa and it's awesome all the proceeds go to charity and it is delicious. 7% alcohol, pretty much my perfect kind of IPA. A little bit of sweetness, not too much. Full haze in the glass. Uh, but I love Cape May, and I'll recommend it to anyone. Double Nickel is also very good, but it's almost better to go to their tap house. I like, I've liked some of the ones I've gotten in cans, but their tap house has fantastic stuff. It's in Pensacola, New Jersey. And then Tonewood makes a lot of good stuff as well. But what a cool idea. Five different breweries get together, make a lot of money for charity. I'm loving this beer. Perfect perfect time of year to give back, right? So mm. That's right. All right, let's get into UVA, man. Saturday, 345. Kind of a weird kickoff spot. It's going to be cold at the end of that one. Yeah. On ACC Network, we crushed UVA last year. Yeah. I was actually, we were worried about that game going in, and we smoked them. Khalil just went off. Yeah, we... <laughs> 
Well, we we gave the ball to a running back that was uh, probably uh, uh, something that we may want to take uh, take into account for this upcoming game. But we were extremely worried about that game, and we didn't know if it was going to come together, and it did for that one. So let's hope uh, it doesn't end this year. Yeah, they are six and five. They just lost to Pitt. They're four and three in the ACC, and they've actually lost three in a row. Yeah. They started six and two, but all three losses were BYU. Notre Dame and Pitt, their three most recent ones. And those are obviously three good teams. Their best win on the season is probably Miami. And then they also beat Louisville. But they lost to UNC. They lost to Wake. Not, you know, not terrible losses. Um, It's a good offense, bad defense team. I think that's what sums it up. Yeah, they they started. I think they started, what, six and two? And then before they took their, their three losses. If they've... This is the epitome of having beat every team that you should beat and then lost to every team that like really put up any sort of a fight uh, and is is somewhat you know respectable. So it all starts with Brennan Armstrong and that guy's had a year. So 300 Dude. completions for 4,000 yards. He's got a 65% completion percentage, 30 TDs and nine interceptions. So uh, he's been a stud for him. Dude, he is unreal. Four thousand yards in through like eleven games is insane. And if you if you remember, right before we played them last year, the reason we were so worried is he was putting up like three hundred and twenty yards a game. It was his numbers started to be compared to like Sam Howell, and he's throwing all these touchdowns, and he is totally built on that. And yep. this year has just blown his stock out of the water 37 total tds he had 550 yards against unc 487 against pitt 487 against louisville 65 percent completion his qbr is the same as van dyke as van dyke's was going in last week 77.8 158 passer rating the dude is great and he can run yes that's the that's the scary part he's running less then he ran last year. He's not relying on it as much, but he can move. I guess the only kind of detriment is that he has taken 28 sacks. Yeah, they, he has taken a lot of hits, um, and that has been that's been challenging. But it does, to your point, what we haven't seen from him is as much damage on the ground, but it does still frighten me a little bit. Like, if we mm-hmm. do... The DBs managed to bounce back from what was a horrific week last week, and we do manage to shut down the pass. He can still move, and he can still do um, some damage on the the ground. In terms of, uh, I talked about having a couple great players. Um, Dante Van Wicks is got fifty four catches. He has he's over eleven hundred yards already. He's got nine TDs, and um, he that guy's a stud. Dude, his average is over 20 yards. It's over 21 yards, yeah. a catch. And I guess if your quarterback is throwing for 4,000 yards, someone's <laughs> got to be making the catches, right. right? So, yeah, he's got 11, over 1,100. Keaton Thompson is the big dude you'll see playing. Um, we actually – didn't we knock him out of the game last year? Yeah. I think we like he took that hard hit. But he's got 70 receptions this year, 882 yards, two touchdowns. And then you have Kemp, who's more of your possession guy, 67 receptions. And 646 TDs for Kemp, though. So he's a guy to watch in the red zone. Uh, Jelani Woods, he's that giant tight end who basically speared a guy with his helmet at the end of the pit game. Yep. Uh, he, they fought Pitt. 
that was what was kind of scaring me because Pitt was looked like they were going to put them away, and then UVA just kept fighting back and kept fighting back. And sadly, I was rooting for UVA because it would have meant we had a chance for the Coastal if we had been able to beat Miami. Obviously, that's all for naught. But they were battling with Pitt. And so going into this matchup, I look at these these weapons, and they've got a, a couple at the running back position with, as well with Talapapa and Darrington, although that's not really what they do. They do have guys that are capable, and they'll run Thompson on occasion. It's it's scary, man. Like it is. This is a scary offense. And and it took just putting that pit game in perspective. It took what's arguably the best quarterback and the actual best wide receiver in the ACC this year to beat uh, UVA in that game. I mean, yep. um, the way that Pickett's been playing, um, it, it's just been outrageous. And they they fought till the end, and it took that crazy catch. Um, I'm yeah. forgetting the wide receiver's name. I'm blanking right now. Addison. Yes, Addison, that catch, uh, in order to, to shut down UVA in that game. So uh, that yeah. was frightening at best. Their offensive line is 118th in sacks per game. So that's we need Amari Barno to come out of a shell. We need Garbit, yep. Pollard. We need that line, the linebackers, Jamari Connor, maybe some blitzing. I don't know, but we have got to get after Armstrong because we didn't think he was even going to play against Pitt, yep. and he decided to play. People are saying his ribs are broken. He's out for the year. No, he started. He played. He was awesome. Yeah. So hit him. Yes, That's what we need to do. That is the number one objective. I don't like to – wish injury but we need to hit him oh at least if we at least strike win. some fear in him even if he, yeah. you don't have to injure somebody to kind of put him on their heels so uh at least get a, a good amount of pressure in there so yeah got the the corners and waller got to be on on their shit after last week if we're gonna hold up on defense as for uva's defense it stinks it's 117th in yards per play although Pitt wasn't able to carve him up too bad. 95th in opposing passer rating, 123rd in yards per carry. And that is my favorite because we can run the ball. Our, our quarterbacks can run. Our running backs can run. Our line is better in run blocking. That is what excites me about this matchup. Yeah, they are not a lot of pressure. I think you know Noah Taylor, their linebacker, has three sacks and leads the team. Uh, there's there's not a lot of pressure that they they force there. Um, Nick Johnson linebackers is pretty good, but it's, and then Anthony Johnson, I think, and and Joey Blount, I think both of them, um, have, have played well this year, but there's not a lot of depth there. And quite honestly, to your point, we can run the ball on this team. And I hope we, we certainly elect to do so, especially after we saw last week. Yeah. Their linebackers are good. Jackson and Taylor, like you said, but the line is, Manny Alonso, I feel like, has been on this team for 100 years, but <laughs> he's just one man, and he's just okay. Yep. And so let's push around that D-line. Let's get the blocks on Jackson and Taylor and move the ball on the ground. The DBs, it's it's a f- okay group. There's a bunch of guys on there uh, that are fine. They're not any shutdown corners or anything. So Trey will make some plays. Tavion will make some plays. Run the ball. Keep Armstrong off the field and that is going to be our recipe for this game yep I totally agree yes if we unfortunately I think we got to go back to slow the game down I I think Mm -hmm. that that is going to be critical in this one we don't want to get into 
a shootout situation. And quite honestly, with what we have going on at quarterback right now, whatever we have going on in this game, that is not going to be the recipe for success. So slow it down, you know, let the defense rest, um, run the ball, eat the clock. And I think that's going to be our best bet here. The one thing I was disappointed in the Miami game was I thought we were going to see, especially when the quarterback started to get hurt and banged up. Why didn't we see more Wildcat? Why didn't we see King taking direct snaps or Blackshear taking direct snaps? I would have, or Tavion, yeah. you know, any, anyone. Um, I think that could be something that we need to do in this game against UVA. Pull some of that stuff you were doing against Duke, the flea flickers and the Wildcat and the crazy crap. Throw the kitchen sink at them. Yeah. You, you got to do something to to get points on the board. It is going to be about points. I could see UVA putting up 30 plus. Yep. And so we're going to have to we're going to have to compete with that. The line right now I'm seeing is negative 7. So UVA is minus 7 for this thing. Um that's a little steep for a rivalry, I think. Yeah, I saw it hop up uh, earlier today. I don't know what it's at right at the moment, but it was at got to 7.5 for a little bit. I think it may have come back down, but it's hovering right around there. Um, it seems steep. I mean, I definitely think that UVA should be favored in this game, but I don't think it should be by that much. I could see no. four points, something along those lines, three and a half would make more sense, but you know, that's why Vegas is Vegas. And they're coming off seeing what we just did on offense in Miami yep. and it didn't look good. Yep. <laughs> and, and they saw what Armstrong was able to do against Pitt. So it, in that regard, it makes sense. However, what do they always say, Robbie? You got to throw the records out. Toss, toss those right out the window. That's for sure. <laughs> it's a rivalry game. Shout out to uh, Solid Verbal, man. Yeah. It's been a long time since I listened to those guys, I but know. some of their key sayings always slip into my head. Yeah, and they're used now just interchangeably with anything. You know, all college football fans know all of them yeah. right at this point. Well, let's hop into these picks before we close out the podcast. UNC at NC State, Robbie. NC State, five-and-a-half-point favorites. I feel like the Wolfpack have kind of owned this rivalry. I'm not sure if that's just perception, but that's kind of the way I feel. I'm going to take NC State. Yeah, I have NC State as well. Picked them last week. I think uh, that went pretty well. Yeah, Yeah, I'd say so. (laughs) To say the least. Week at BC. BC and Florida State played a back-and-forth wild game. Yep. Um, BC only four and a half point underdogs versus Wake Forest. I feel like a week ago, this line wouldn't have been anywhere close to this number. So I'm going to take Wake. I am. I also have Wake. Unfortunately, they, they are going to have to deal with that sleepy chestnut hill. And I know I f- we saw what it did to us. Well, I feel like people <laughs> are now the, the chestnut hill theme is starting to take over. Nobody, everybody's. It always seems towards the end of the year, people start picking more towards uh, BC once they figure out that there's no fans in the stands. Yeah, the, I hope Wake can bounce back. I, I, I want I want Wake to do well, kind of. They're one of the few programs in the ACC, like, I want to do well. Um, has nothing to do with me wanting or not wanting Kloss. And I, yeah. I did notice that, like, a lot of our fans do not want Kloss. Yeah. Like, that, that has been... That has been um, definitely a sentiment that is widespread yeah there's that that has that has rung uh in my ears from multiple different parties uh that's for sure i actually have some people hitting me up uh now 
about uh, Huff and Marshall fans that are like, are you guys trying to take our core, our, our head coach? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I guess so. Maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it. Yep. Uh, Florida State at Florida. Oh. The old rivalry. This the state of Florida's football teams is um, a mess. I, who's the best team in Florida right now? I don't know. Like, it's probably it's like F- kind of hard to say. Probably like FIU or somebody that I'm not even thinking of. <laughs> like, you know. uh, I'm going Florida State here. Okay. I mean, we just you think they? Yeah, they're they're getting points. So yeah, I I do. They've been playing well. They've been playing well, and. I do think the only reason that you would fire Dan Mullen in that situation is that I think there is some real, some real issues going on in Florida culturally in what's going on in their program. So I think uh, FSU is starting to come together uh, at the wrong time for Florida to be firing their coach. Yeah, I'm going to take Florida State too, and I'll agree with you that with as good as the first three years Dan Mullen had to get fired this quickly, like. There's there's stuff bubbling underneath the surface for sure. Clemson at South Carolina. South Carolina, 11.5-point favorites. And I should have said, bull-eligible South Carolina. Shane did it. <laughs> Shane did it. Are they, so they're – oh, wait, they are favorites. Sorry. I'm they, sorry, underdogs. underdogs. Shane, so South like, Carolina is 11.5-point underdogs. I'm, uh, I'm taking yes. South Carolina here. Shane is – dude, he's he's doing well, man. It's uh, I know it's all – He's days. dancing. Yeah, I think he's uh, – no, but I I think if, if for nothing if nothing else, I think South Carolina is going to try and take advantage of one of the few spots they're going to see where Clemson is down, and uh, mm-hmm. that's that's how I'm thinking about it. But is is Dabo's Death Star fully operational? <laughs> I, I, it's tur- it's it, turning on. Uh, it's getting close. Yes. It is getting close. That team destroyed Wake Forest, and so yeah. I am tempted. Very tempted to take Clemson to cover, and I think I'm going to do it. You're doing it? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. All right. Kentucky at Louisville. The Bourbon Bowl. Louisville, two-and-a-half-point favorites. They – God, they smoked Duke. And in my pick em, I think Louisville covering against Duke was the easiest pick that I made. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, in this particular instance – I'm gonna go Kentucky here. Actually, that's gonna be that's gonna be my my pick. Oh God, they they've done well in this rivalry as well. I, I you know I think Malik is is like fully healthy for the first time in a while. I'm gonna take Louisville. Okay. Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. This is meaningful. Bedlam. Oklahoma State four point favorites at home. I'm. I'll go first. Go for it. I'm taking OK State. Oklahoma did not look good this week. We've been on this thing all year about how we don't believe in Oklahoma, so I'm taking OK State. Yeah, I had, I had Oklahoma State. I, I think this, yeah, the reckoning is about to, I think, fully happen here uh, to Oklahoma. Bama at Auburn. This is one of the big ones. Yeah. Auburn, 19 and a half point underdogs. Part of that is because they don't have Bo Nix. Yep. They've, they've lost a couple other key players. Um, I'm taking Bama. Yeah, I gotta go Bama here. I mean, they now it is a rivalry, and yes. Auburn has been known to surprise. Yes, but the injuries are what's leading me to the conclusion, and the fact that did he see the Arkansas game? He Saban's gonna have those guys ready. Yeah, and 
he's yeah he has enough fodder um, with not being able to stop that Arkansas offense, which is not a very it's a good offense, but it's not that high powered. And the fact that Bama was giving up points there, um, I think he's gonna. Are we stupid though for not taking almost twenty points in a rivalry? I don't I don't know because this is this is just like all the other years. Like Bama still needs. They they still need the style points just to like kind of solidify it and they no matter what they're gonna have to beat Georgia like I think yeah. but they're they're I mean they're undefeated so they could technically lose to Georgia and still get in if they continue to show you know the style points and I think it's also um, you know their their quarterback is still what number two in the Heisman contention right now I think he is yeah so he's 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 good. Yeah. All right, Ohio State at Michigan. A couple weeks ago, I thought Michigan has a real shot this year. And then the Michigan State game happened, and now I'm kind of thrown for a loop. And even this line, it's in between. At 8.5, that's an in-between number. And I, it may, like it's closer than I almost thought it should be. Like I, I thought they were going to come out with like an 11, 12-point line. Right. Um, so... I I'm really I don't know what to do, man. I I feel like I've got you're stupid not to pick Ohio State. Like they own this rivalry. They just looked amazing. I'm gonna take it, but I am not completely convinced that they that Michigan can't win. I think Michigan could win. Yeah, you and I both picked Michigan State and looked foolish last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. <sighs> Uh, eight and a half is such a big. I, I don't. I think C.J. Stroud is just playing on a whole new level. Um, and yeah. so I'm going to go Ohio State. All right, that'll do it for picks. I do want to ask. This is the last game of the season. Yeah. Do you? How do you feel about us winning this game? Because I know on game day against Miami, with the J.C. Price thing happening and. It felt like the team was going to come together. I really felt like we were going to win against Miami. I just kind of felt it. And I didn't expect Tyler Van Dyke to have the game of his year because um, I thought it was a good matchup. I thought we have good corners. He's been passing well but hasn't seen a secondary like ours, and he just ripped us. So if our corners come to play, I think we can beat UVA because I think we'll do enough offensively against this defense. It's a bad defense. Yeah. It's really bad. Yeah. And we saw what we did against a bad defense against Duke. So I do feel good about the prospects of beating UVA. I I don't know if if I feel 75% good or 60% or 51%, but I feel good. I think he, uh, of all coaches, to, you know, he, he knows the importance of this game. He's going to be able to articulate why it matters, you know, and there's a lot of reasons to, you know, try and get this get this W, but I think he's going to be able to articulate it in a way that really resonates with the players. My concern is I have a feeling, given how bad UVA's defense is, that this is going to turn into a shootout. Like they, This could be like a 45-38 game, something like that. And if that's the case... Who am I going to kind of, I think then Brennan Armstrong's the one that is probably going to be on the winning end of that. So uh, um, that's concerning to me. So Yeah, what I'm doing right now is looking up the over-under. Yeah. 62 and a half. Okay. So that's not the, sh- the 40 no. 
to whatever predictable shootout. But I do agree with you. That could happen. But the other thing I agree with you on is J.C. Price on this rivalry. Yeah. That's something that I'm sure in years past they've had the coaches that have played for Tech, like Jay Ham and et cetera, talk about the rivalry to the players. But having it be the head coach, a guy who just bleeds orange and maroon, it could make a really big impact. It really could. Yep. And so I'm very much looking forward to seeing how they come out uh, under JC. The, the crappy thing for this team is we just played till 11 o'clock at night in the pouring rain with both of our quarterbacks like essentially leaving on stretchers. Yeah. <laughs> and so now you got to come home, you got to warm up, you got to go to Charlottesville and play another road game. It, this is just not easy, man. No. Well, hopefully everybody was taking vitamins, drinking orange juice, all that kind of stuff, and uh, it's not coming back. And and that that travel is because tra- I'm assuming Trey had to drive back. Right? Yeah, like, he drove uh, back. Like you know, another 23 hours uh, in the car. So uh, hat tip to the equipment guys that drove him down there and back. And it's that's tough. And he still, I mean, he still had. A lot of key catches in that game last week. So he's he's key to this offense. Um, even yeah. with seeing some of the other guys like Smith and and seeing Lofton and Jones, we still we still need him. That's that's tough. It's not a great situation um, coming back from that game in that kind of weather and that kind of a, a loss. Uh, plus, you know, you you have a new head coach. Yeah. The schedulers really did us wrong, though. I mean, there should there should be no reason we play Miami and UVA back to back on the road. Yeah, like that is just that. Those are our two biggest rivals, basically, mm-hmm. and we're playing them back to back on the road. Like that is not right. So, I, I'm not gonna bitch and complain about because we got all those early home games and we yeah. could have built up a nice buffer. But like, that's just wrong. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be playing your two biggest rivals back to back weeks. But that's besides the point. That's what's in front of us. And I do believe the guys can pull it off. It's just going to be difficult. But I'm looking forward to watching it. Yep, me as well. All right, so make sure you're tuned in Wednesday night to the Memphis game, tuned in Friday to the Xavier or Iowa State game, and then obviously tuned in Saturday on ACC Network at 345 for the Commonwealth Cup. We have the cup. It's not in UVA's possession. We're going in with the cup again. I like that. Make sure to hit us up on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 2DeepVT.com is the website. You can find all of our beers, stream all of our podcasts, and buy our merch, which is just one type of merch, but you can buy stickers on there. All the details are there for you. Robbie's stats are up there. Every single beer we've ever had, you can go and see what we thought of it, which is kind of cool. There's like 400 beers on there. Um, And until next time, when we are celebrating a big win or hopefully celebrating a big win in the Commonwealth Cup and previewing a bowl at some point. Let's go Hokies.